are the carers for our neighbors. We are servants in our labor. We are counting well the cost of living for the Hey there, Dunker Punks. Matt Riddle here. He, him pronouns, pastor of the Arlington Church of the Brethren. I'll be your host for this podcast, and it's so great to be with you all in this virtual space of podcasting. Have you ever been to an annual conference? Have you ever been a delegate? Whether you are a delegate this year, have been one before, or have never been a delegate, I know we all share a passion for engaging in the process of imagining and building the denomination we want to be a part of, the future we want to live into together. I'm going to Omaha this summer uh, where I'll be uh, masked up and uh, sitting at the tables being a delegate this year for, I don't know, the third or fourth time perhaps. I'm always struck when I've done this in the past, how we sit at these round tables and get to know the others at the tables with us. We'll discuss items of business, pray together before vote, sometimes talk on breaks. I'll confess that while some of these table experiences have been truly wonderful for me and I've made some lasting friendships, other times I've left the table feeling drained and frustrated. When I think about what it means to be brethren, though, I think about these tables. And not that the conversation always goes well, but that we commit to coming back to that table and trying again next business session and next business session, even if it means waiting a year between those efforts. We try again and sit at the table together. Another part of the DNA of Brother and Faith to me is who sits around these tables and who plans these conferences and sits on various boards, offers leadership behind the scenes. It is a lot of just regular people volunteering their time to keep the wheels turning in service to the broader kingdom work we all share in. The delegates themselves might be clergy, but are often lay people, uh, all from engaged congregations into the greater work we do. And this is who votes on how our denomination will look in the future. One thing that we vote on every annual conference is the ballot. Every annual conference, we're giving a ballot. Two names for each position. 
positions ranging from new board members for Bethany Seminary, Brother and Benefit Trust, or Mission and Ministry Board, to annual conference moderator, and many layers in between. With a position for annual conference secretary, an important position on the ballot this year, we have 10 different positions up for vote. Now, paragraph-long bios on each candidate can be found on the annual conference website currently and in the booklet when they get printed. But in this series, Women's Caucus and Dunker Punks are partnering together to shine an even more illuminating light onto the experiences and passions of the nominees. In the 10 shorter-than-usual episodes of this series, one for each position on the ballot, you'll hear interviews from nominees for each position on the ballot at this year's annual conference. Each and every nominee was given the chance to be interviewed. As we listen, let's remind ourselves each of our voices matter. If you're a delegate this year listening, I hope you find this all insightful and helpful. If you're not a delegate, maybe you'll find yourself wanting to reach out to your delegate at your church when you're done listening. Offer your thoughts on who you think they should vote for. We are a priesthood of all believers, after all. So, sisters, brothers, all siblings, every believer, let us be priests who journey together into this space of illumination and insight as we seek a deepening relationship with every sibling in faith. Our first set of interviews is for the position of moderator-elect. We'll hear from Jesse Hauf interviewing the two candidates, Madeline Metzger and Marla Bieber-Aby. I am Jesse Hauf. I use she, her pronouns, and I am here with Madeline Metzger. Uh, we are going to do an, an interview. She is the one of the moderator-elect persons for the annual conference 2022 ballot, and it's very exciting. So I will be interviewing Madeline and Marla. Madeline, would you like to give a, an introduction of yourself before we dive into some questions? So like you said, I'm Madeline Metzger. I uh, live in the Goshen, Indiana area, and I'm a member of the Goshen City Church of the Brethren. In my professional life, I serve as the vice president of marketing for Everance Financial, which was formerly known as Mennonite Mutual Aid. So many people might might recognize that as a longstanding name out in the Anabaptist community. Let's see. I also am a member of the Manchester University Board of Trustees. And uh, that's actually where I graduated and received my bachelor's degree in interpersonal and organizational communications. I also hold a, a master in business administration from Bluffton University in Ohio. Um, I grew up in central Illinois, part of the Illinois, Wisconsin district, although now I'm a member of the northern Indiana district of the Church of the Brethren. And uh, I'm married. I have uh, my husband's name is. Chris Brownlee. He's a uh, recording artist and film and video composer. And we have two very spoiled cats, Rigel and Mika. As cats do best. Yeah. 
Well, that's wonderful. Thank you for that brief introduction. It's wonderful to hear more about you. Um, I'm going off script already, but uh, you know, you you mentioned you grew up in in churches of the brethren. Has has the church of the brethren always been a part of your life, or is it something that you've kind of evolved into over the uh, years? That's a really good question. Um, for me personally, it's I was born and raised in the church of the brethren. On my dad's side, I come from a long line of historic brethren families. Um, my, my dad grew up in North Manchester and, um, still has many, uh, relatives that live in the area, cousins and, and that sort of thing. Um, and my, my grandmother is originally from the Shenandoah Valley. Um, her Parents were Church of the Brethren missionaries in Nigeria, so she spent part of her childhood there. Um, but otherwise, grew up in in the valley. Uh, her her father was a well known um, minister and deacon in the district there, and active with the Bridgewater College trustees way 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 back in the day. Um, so yeah, so on my dad's side, I come from a long line of of brethren, and it's always been the faith tradition that I was that I have been a part of since I was born. Um, on my mom's side, so my mom is is originally from Vietnam. She's a, a US citizen now, has been for years and years. Um, and so she, she grew up in the uh, Protestant faith tradition in Vietnam, which is actually not common. Um, the uh, Buddhist faith and, and Catholic tradition are, are more common in Vietnam. But, um, but ever since she married my dad, who was, they met when my dad was in brother volunteer service in Vietnam, she's been a member of the church of the brethren ever since. So, so yeah, that's been my, my faith background. And now I work for the Mennonites. So, uh, you know, they're related. So (laughs) yeah, certainly that's great. Well, thank you for that. So I'd love to talk more about kind of your, your current situation of being on the ballot for annual conference for the moderator elect, which is really exciting. Can you just give a brief description perhaps of what that means? Whoever is elected to be the moderator elect will eventually become the moderator of annual conference. I I see this as the highest volunteer leadership position within the church. It's, um, it's an individual who, uh, I mean, on the surface is, is in charge of running the business sessions for the entire denomination for whatever year of annual conference, they are the moderator, but they're involved with denominational leadership for at least a three-year overall term and, um, and involved in a lot of the denominational uh, conversations, uh, both internally within the denomination and externally with other denominations and partners. What makes this moderator-elect position you're being considered for important in the life of the broader church, kind of based off of what you were just speaking about? Well, I think I think the the moderator-elect and moderator are not necessarily the one single voice of the denomination. I don't believe that. I, I believe that we are a community and a body of believers and that we all have a voice in that body and we're all trying to discern how the spirit is moving for the denomination together. Uh, the, the moderator elect and moderator position are simply um, individuals who help, help facilitate that conversation. 
and help facilitate that discernment of the movement of the spirit. And, um, and I think that it's an important role given, especially that we are experiencing a great deal of change, not only in our society, but within our denomination as well. So now is, I think, a turning point for many of us and for our faith community. And, and there's the potential that this position will hold a pretty important role in helping facilitate that conversation. What makes you at a really good point in your life that perhaps make you makes you better suited for this position now in 2022 versus 5, 10, 20 years ago? Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. And first, I just want to say I am very humbled that I was nominated and made it through the vetting process to be on the ballot. Uh, I wasn't sure what the outcome would be and um, by no means went into it thinking um, that I would necessarily reach this point. So it is, it, I am honored and I am humbled. What makes me more qualified now than in, than five or 10 years ago? Well, I think that I have been, I've been a part of, of this denomination all my life and a part of um, the national level of its workings for a long time. So I've seen, I've seen a number of shifts and transformations and changes happening over the years and have been involved in some of those myself as uh, in former leadership, um, in former leadership positions. I was board chair of On Earth Peace for five years and a member of their board of directors for nine years. Um, and now involved with the Manchester University Board of Trustees. So I think that that gives me a unique perspective. I think also the fact that I'm, while I have been involved in the denomination in a variety of ways over the years, I am not a pastor. And some might see that as a hindrance, but some might see that as a strength as well, uh, because I, I bring more of an organizational and interpersonal mindset that is less less in the pastoral realm and more in the um, systems and, and inner workings of, of an organization, which we like to, I mean, we are a faith family, but we are also an institution. And so I think that's, that's a perspective that I bring to the role that might be different. Um, Also in my work here at Everance, as well as work that I had previously done when I was at Church World Service prior to coming here to Everance and MMA, I have been involved in a number of ecumenical partnerships and discussions and um, and relationships. And I think that that's, that is also an important aspect for someone in this role to have, because while we exist as a larger denomination, as well as our individual congregations, we also exist in a world where there are other faith traditions and, and we relate to those faith traditions. And I think that's something that the Church of the Brethren has done well in the past with building relationships with other like-minded institutions and organizations and denominations. So I think that's something that that helps qualify me for this this role as well. You know, as our as our denomination continues to change and um, and and become more diverse in both worldview and perspectives, but also racial ethnic, backgrounds. I I come from a, a diverse background myself, and I have 
participated in and led a number of anti-racism trainings and educational opportunities at the institutional level and the interpersonal level. And so I, I think that that also is something important for, for our denomination to have experience with. And, and hopefully I can help with that. Yes, absolutely. You have so much experience and you're so ingrained in Church of the Brethren life and theology. I would love to hear if if you have like a, a person or an organization, maybe it's a church that um, is either currently in, in your life or has been in your life in the past that has really inspired you or or helped to develop these gifts that you have to be prepared for this kind of position, assuming you are affirmed for it. Well, how many people can I list? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, I, I would have to say that, I mean, obviously my parents and my extended family have been a big part of shaping who I am from, from my birth, you know, all the way up through my adulthood to this point. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't say that they have been a big part of, of that development for me. Um, I grew up in the Springfield, Illinois, First Church of the Brethren. And that congregation means a lot to me and has was an integral part of my upbringing as well. And uh, the late Cress Lipscomb was pastor there for, for several years, including during my childhood from third grade through college. And, um, and he also has been an important part of my journey and a, a, a strong voice of support for me and he is greatly missed now that he is no longer with us. I still get teary talking about that. Um, I also, I'm grateful for the leadership opportunities that have been provided to me here at Everance, as well as through some of our other agencies like On Earth Peace and also at uh, Manchester University. <laughs> I could I could probably go on and on, but there, there have been, the Church of the Brethren has been a very nurturing community for me, and I am extremely grateful for all the people and, um, and groups that have supported me through the years. The nomination process is something that is very interesting. And for those listening who may not understand the nomination process, the way it works is somebody nominates you for a position that they think you would be really good at. You get an email saying, Hey, you've been nominated. Are you cool with that? Are you wanting to move forward? And if you say yes, then you fill out a survey and submit it. And that goes to a bunch of committees and it goes on. Um, so I'll, I won't go into the nitty gritty, but thinking about that email that you got of you've been nominated, um, it may have even said who nominated you, but could you could you say maybe why you think you were nominated for this position? Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, so the nomination process is a really interesting process. And I will say that when I received the first email notifying me that my name had been submitted for consideration, I was I was completely floored and taken by surprise. I was not expecting that at all. And then later, I actually was informed that more than one person had had submitted my name for consideration for moderator elect, which again just blew me away. Just I I completely was not anticipating that or expecting that. I can't get into those individuals' minds to know exactly why they submitted my name, but 
I think that I have been pretty vocal over the years uh, at the national denominational level about uh, my desire to see ongoing conversations or more dialogue about how the denomination is changing and what we need to do as a body of believers um, to meet those changes and uh, and move forward together as a denomination. And so I can't help but wonder if that's part of the reason why I was perhaps nominated. I also think that I bring a, a, a certain set of skills related to both interpersonal and organizational communications and relationship building to the role that could be helpful, could be useful, could be needed. I'm uh, since since the ballot was was announced, a number of people have have shared with me that they think I have skills that aren't would be useful in this role. And if I am affirmed by the delegate body, I will take that seriously and I will do the best that I can to serve the church in this capacity. Amen. Love that. We've talked about this leadership role being an important one, being in a big one, having a lot of responsibility. Um, you, you mentioned having, you know, ongoing conversations with with multiple people and groups of people and just the church in, in general. So in this kind of strange balance of, you know, this volunteer position, your personal life, your work life, there's a lot of balancing that I'm sure needs to happen. So how how might you envision taking care of yourself when juggling all of these different things? That's a really good question. And that is actually something that I have been growing into. I will admit that especially 10 or more years ago, I probably was not great at taking care of myself and, and instead overextending myself. So that is something that I am walking into this annual conference, very cognizant about especially if I am affirmed. But if even if not, that's something that I have been trying to be better at in general in my life. I, I think that setting boundaries for anyone is important. And so how I try to determine how to set those boundaries, especially in terms of what things do I say yes to versus what things do I say, uh, no, not right now, or I, I'm not sure I'm the right person at this time for that is I, I try to think about um, what do I feel called to do and what will feel fulfilling. Um, and if it doesn't meet those criteria, then maybe it's not meant to be. Maybe it's maybe that's not where I'm supposed to put my energy and my focus at this time. On top of that, I think it's important to have a good support system around you. And uh, I'm fortunate to have a very supportive husband and family members and friends who I know will will be those voices for me and will be the ones who not only create help create space for me to care for myself, but may also need to be those voices that say, are you sure that you can take that on right now? Or uh, what can we do to help? Or um or you know other other kind of guiding questions to help me further determine how I should be spending my time and my energy and my resources. It's important to have that support system. 
Yes, it is. It is so important to have, and not just, you know, one person or, or one, you know, like a spouse or a friend, but multiple across, you know, having the support system in your personal life and your work life and your, you know, spiritual life. That's, that's so important. And I think that that's, that's great that you, you mentioned that because the church of the brethren is so focused on community, right. And being together and, you know, being of one, of one body. And so that's really beautiful. I love that, that you, you spoke a lot on that. Um, I wanted to finalize this interview with just perhaps talking about in a brief way, what your vision is for the church of the brethren moving forward. You know, how, how do you long for us to become more aligned with the teachings of Jesus? Um, and what do you see for the vision of the, the vision of the church of the brethren? I don't know if this will be a popular response or not, but I don't have one vision for the denomination. I don't think that it's my place to have a set vision. I think that that's the work for all of us to do together. That said, though, I do, I do hope that uh, we can, as a as a body, focus on Christ's ministry of love and hope, and and work together to to determine what does that ministry for us look like in 2022 and beyond and um and and what does that particularly look like with the changes that we're seeing in our own pews in our local congregations so not just at the denominational level but at the local congregational level as well and and i hope that we can enter into a time of of evaluation and imagination and envisioning together you know it's been a it's been a hard several years for all of us on a number of different levels uh, both individually and as a denomination and it it's taken a, a toll on all of us i think that the church can be a place for renewal for all of us if we all enter into that conversation and into that space with open hearts and open minds well, thank you so much, Madeline. It, it's so great to hear more about you and get to know you. I look forward to getting to know you more as, as time goes on and many blessings on your journey. Is there anything else you'd like to, to say? No, I, I just, I'm grateful that Dunker Punks is doing this series. I think that it, it can be a challenge. I've been a delegate at annual conference more than once, and it can be a challenge to, to sit there when the vote comes up and try and make a decision uh, based off of two names and two very short profiles that are in the delegate packet. So I, I just really am thankful that Dunker Punks is doing this and giving people an opportunity to learn more about each of the candidates for each of the different positions. I think that's valuable, very valuable. This is Jesse Hauf. I am on a wonderful call with our second moderator elect, Marla. Hello, Marla. Hi, nice to see y'all. Yes, it's so great I have to, to see have y'all. You. I'm in Virginia now. Oh, perfect. Yes, yes. <laughs> hearing, I suppose most people will be hearing you <laughs> as opposed to seeing you, but this is wonderful. It's great to, to sit down with you and, and see you and hear your voice and get to ask you some, some great questions. I'll first start off with, would you just introduce yourself? Say maybe a little bit about where you're from and, and where you are now? 
I'm a missionary kid, grew up in Nigeria, so I have a passion about African things. Been a pastor for, since 1975, I was ordained. My husband and I were the first co-pastors in the denomination. That was a fun thing, introducing. We've pastored all over the United States. Right now I'm retired, have been retired for three years. What makes this position, this moderator-elect position you're being considered for, important in the life of the broader church? Well, I think it has... um, probably minimum importance in the brethren. Some people have very little to do with the moderator, but some people do follow a lot with what they're doing and what their emphasis is. I just spent a week with David Sollenberger in Uganda and Rwanda and seeing his passions and interests and what he's going to share. It helped me see a little bit of what the moderator can get people enthusiastic about. And I think the other thing the moderator does is have an and plan an amazing annual conference when people can leave and say, wow, we had great worship. But more than that, we're just really happy about what we're doing together. You know, we really are proud of, not proud of each other, but we're excited about what Jesus is doing for us. And I think that's probably as much influence as you have. I don't think, you know, we're like the Pope <laughs> and what we say goes. But and I think, too, for international churches, I'm finding that people of position, they like to hear what our opinions are and what we're thinking about. So that probably matters there more than it does here in the United States. I kept introducing uh, David, much to his dismay, as the highest elected official in the Church of the Brethren. And he said, if he never hears that term again, he will be glad. (laughs) But it helped them feel like they were important, that people from the church came to visit them and cared about them. And I think that's a role we don't take We take kind of lightly because we don't pay as much attention to the international churches, even though I found out that the moderator elect moderator gets to pick an international church to visit, which I thought was a neat thing. I never knew about that before. I knew I knew usually they went somewhere, but I didn't realize that they get to pick one country. What, What do you think makes you best suited for this position now as opposed to five or 15 or 20 years ago? Well, I was thinking about that a lot when you asked that question. I think 10 years ago, we were just um, in our third year of ministry at Carlisle. We had been in Northern Ohio for a long time. And I think I was learning a lot more about Southern Pennsylvania, even though I was ordained there. I didn't know the district actually very well as a how the churches functioned, et cetera. I had not yet become the moderator of Southern Pennsylvania and learned what that entailed. And then I think even five years ago, I hadn't come to Verlina. And Verlina is a whole different district. I mean, I just keep saying, you do this. Well, what, you know, it's it's a district with lots of small churches. They don't have any, they don't really have the monster churches like Atlantic Northeast or Southern Pennsylvania, or even some of the others. It's just a different district. So I feel like I've had more experiences across across the nation than I would have had before. Five years ago, 2016 is when I was first making visits to Africa again and starting to hear more about the international church. I already heard about other ones, but it was just the African church I was starting to visit. So I'd already visited in Spain and got to visit in Dominican and Haiti. So, you know, this was just a new experience. So, and learning what their interests are, you know, Mm. they have a whole different set of interests and concerns and ways they look at the Bible. And I think it's helpful for us to hear from them. So I wonder if there's, a person or a group of people or a church or organization, um, either in your your current life or in your past that has really inspired you or helped you develop your gifts that you have today, the passion, the skills to be prepared for this position? Who, who can you think of that's gotten you here? My father, Charles Bieber. He has always had such a deep love for the Church of the Brethren. Um, 
had very strong opinions about what mission looked like, you know, that it was not top down, but it was serving together. He and I would argue about issues and I would laugh at him and I'll say, I'm going to stand up at annual conference and say, I'm Marla Bieber AB and say exactly what you don't want me to say, but I never did. And, but he was proud of me and it was okay for us to be very different in how we looked at things. And I really appreciated that. Another person I think I would say is Belita Mitchell. Belita's courage to just be herself and refuse to be anyone else has really inspired me. You know, she doesn't say, I have to be this or I have to be that. She'll say, just just do what you're supposed to do because it's okay to be different from anyone else. And then when I was first a pastor, the only female pastor I really knew even halfway well was Phyllis Carter. So I haven't really heard from her much or she kind of faded from view, but I always appreciated her ministry, Phyllis Carter's. But other than that, the district executives who supported me. So my father, John Thomas in uh, Southern Plains, and Joe Dietrich, and Gordon Booker, a lot of them that were so helpful because when I started, there was, was and still somewhat is a little bit difficulty in women ministers getting hired. Dad had a rule that for every three males that they interviewed, they had to interview one female, and they weren't allowed to get away without interviewing the female. But he said inevitably they would hire the woman pastor because he said most people just go woman pastor and don't think of you as a person. And he said once they got to know them as a person, they usually got hired. And I realized that happens a lot because I remember being at a church and uh, the church voted against having women in leadership, but they had just asked me to be their pastor and I had turned it down. And I realized that to them, I wasn't a female in leadership. I was Marla. And that, you know, as people, we have to keep saying these are people, these aren't names or designations. And then when we get to know each other's people, our feelings rapidly change. Can you talk a bit about why you think you were nominated for this position and maybe the thoughts and feelings that were going through your through your body as you as you got those first emails? Well, years ago, Phil Carlos Archibald, who you probably don't know, told me he wanted to nominate me for annual conference moderator. And he said it as I was walking into the restroom. So I said, okay, Phyllis, I I have to pray about this. And I walked in, I just heard a voice say very clearly, this is not the time. And I came back out and I said, no, Phil, I'm not supposed to do this. And he looked at me in surprise and I said, I just don't know why, but I'm not supposed to. So then when a friend told me I'm planning on nominating you and she actually, my name actually got through, I was kind of like, okay, this must be the time to be nominated. <laughs> so it was it was kind of neat because I didn't know if that was a forever no, you know, this is that's never going to be the time or if it was just this this particular year is not the time. Yeah, I was really excited and I still feel I'm proud, happy to be nominated. I think my father would be tickled pink because he was moderator in 1977 that his daughter even got on the ballot. But, you know, if it's, if it's something to be, it'll be. And I feel like we've got two good candidates and either one of us will do a great job. How do you envision taking care of yourself while juggling all of these duties and and having all of these extra things? I'm retired, which helps a lot. So I have free time. I may not get to weed as much, (laughs) which is a very healing thing for me. Um, When you weed, you put things in order. And when you work in the church, nothing ever stays in order. Weeds do come back, but not as fast as, you know, you can actually salt stuff and it'll look great for a while. But in the church, it's a lot more sowing seed process, waiting to see what happens. But I've learned that I have to root myself deeply in my family, you know, my sisters and my brother and my grandchildren, my sons and daughter-in-laws. 
and in good friendships. And if I don't do that, then, and, and with my husband to make sure my marriage is very solid. If I don't do that, then I start falling apart. Travel for me is both fun and anxiety producing. I love to meet the new people. The whole process of going places is something that I've done for years, but sometimes it's like, oh, I just want to be home. I think the uh, process of COVID made me be home more than I've ever been in my life. I'm known for all my friends of being the person that travels all the time because my children have been in different places. My nieces and nephews are in different places. My brothers and sisters, no one lives close to me <laughs> except my one son. So I'm known to be traveling a lot. And I just love getting to know the people. That part I'm really going to enjoy, seeing what people care about and what their churches are doing and 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 just hearing the stories of what's happening in their lives, that part will be a lot of fun. And I think I've got the time for it. But I also know that I won't say yes to everything. I've learned that if I say I should do that, that means I'm not supposed to, because the scripture says God loves a cheerful giver. And if I'm shooting it, I'm not cheerful about it. So that means stop. So I'd, I'd love to ask what your your vision is for the Church of the Brethren. If you think about, you know, assuming you you are affirmed. How how do you envision us, you know, aligning ourselves with the teachings of Jesus? And what's your vision? Well, I've always thought that one of the things that we miss is, as Christians is that Jesus said, if you just love those who love you, you're just acting like everyone else. And I find that we forget that our love is supposed to be extraordinary, you know, not just the same thing everyone else would do, but something that's going way beyond that, that we almost have to always try to go the second mile. I, I was like, I hate to use this example, but there was a church in a neighborhood that was hit by a really bad wind. And so there was a, a group that came from various churches of the brethren. And what they did was they went to the church building and cleaned up but didn't go to any of the neighbors. Well, that's exactly everybody else would do. They would go to their friend's house and clean up, but they wouldn't walk down the street. They didn't show extravagant, extraordinary love. And, you know, what I say in my vision statement is I want us to be so forgiving and kind and full of mercy that people, our neighbors and each other, we notice that. Because I don't think we're showing that to each other very much now. And then the second part of my vision is just to simply continue to learn from the various churches that are international and churches of color. You know, I think as the brethren, we still have a lot to learn from churches that are different than us. Um, I'm not saying that we should take everything, but I think sometimes maybe we are not partnering together enough. I'm not quite sure how all this would happen, but to live out what Jesus says is so different. And I, one of the things I've had the privilege of doing is going to a lot of churches when they're just beginning, like I got to introduce and be at the first love feast in Haiti, you know, and the first love feast in Spain and the first love feast in Rwanda and the first love feast in Congo. And then to teach them, you know, like they hadn't ever tried any of these things, you know, and say, this is what the brethren believe. And I'm beginning to wonder if the brethren know what the brethren believe in the United States. You know, because I've, like, I've heard so many pastors say to me, well, I really don't like the love feast. It's like, wait, that, that's a key part of who we are, you know? And when do we teach it? You know, if we have membership classes, they're younger and younger people. I'm not sure we're going over the basic things. Like, what does it mean to be a, a church that believes in nonviolence, that believes that we should go to each other with Matthew 18? If there's a conflict, don't tell everyone else about it. Go to the person. And what are the peacemaking ways you say to those people? Let's be friends. Let's work this out. To use nonviolence in our words, you know, to not let, you know, not let politics separate us, all these things. But to go back to what it is, why do we have the baptism? What's an adult baptism mean? What does it mean to be um, 
to, especially the peacemaking. I don't know if you know much about the churches in um, Central Africa, but Congo, the Church of the Brethren in Congo, found us online and wanted to join a peace church. The same with the church in Burundi and the same with the church in um, Uganda. They are so tired of the violence in their area. They want to be with people that know how to live peacefully. I don't mean to say that everything in my life will be about other countries, but I just got back from Africa three weeks ago. So I'm thinking a lot about that. But just what does it mean to follow hard after Jesus? Not, uh, you know, let's just go to church and be like everyone else. And that church has this and I want to have that. What does the scripture say? You know, I forget who it was. I think Abraham Lincoln said, I don't care what your opinion is or my opinion. What's God's opinion on this? You know, and to let that go and say, what, what is it? Let's study together and let's look. When I went to a new conference when I was a kid, everybody stood up with a Bible in hand, you know, and we'd go verse from verse. And now you can go to the entire annual conference and not take your Bible out once. And I think we're missing that whole sense of community studying together. What does the scripture mean? How does it interpret this one? You know, what does it say elsewhere in the Bible about these issues? And for me, peacemaking is one that we've, we really haven't emphasized much. You know, I don't, especially peacemaking within our churches. You know, how do we get along? How do we deal with the bullies? That's a big issue in Church of the Brethren, because we're all so sweet and nice that when a bully comes up, we just say, Oh, well, we don't want to hurt your feelings. So go ahead and hurt everybody else's feelings. You know, kindness is such a big issue. I mean, Jesus, God is both kind and God is generous. And unless you learn the joy of generosity, you'll never know what God is like because generosity is grace. You know, to give and not expect anything in return is so much fun. So, and I don't think we're learning that. I see us as a church like, we're running out of money. So let's not do this, you know, and let's protect ourselves from any future that might come. And it's like, no, wait, God holds the future. You're called to do what you're supposed to do right now. And I think part of the thing with working with other cultures is starting to recognize what in us is not Jesus teaching, but cultural teaching. You know, this is what our culture has taught us. And so we have to do it this way. So, you know, just like I said, maybe back to the basics is a horrible way to say it, but <laughs> but I think the scripture is just so full of good stuff for us. And, uh, you know, yeah. we aren't going to have time to argue if we're busy doing what we're supposed to be doing. Now, when I was younger, the big saying was, if the sheep are busy, they don't have time to fight. And I still think sometimes we just haven't been busy. What are we doing? You know, and one of my big worries is that we don't have anything important for youth and young adults to do. We're just basically tell them, wait, you know, in Nigeria during Boko Haram, it was the junior highs and the youth that were out in the trees around the church watching for Boko Haram to come so they could warn their congregations. And they had three warnings, you know, they are coming, run right away, or you have a half hour to get away. And they were important, you know, and what do we do that makes them important? What kind of challenges do we give them? Because that, that worries me. We just Come here, come to youth group, have fun. The world can have more fun sometimes. I don't think they do have more fun, but what are we competing with? We're trying to say you have something meaningful to do. And I think that's something we need to keep finding. Whether it's work camps, I don't know. I, I think we still have some keys to go on that. But what is it? What is it that's important and meaningful that they'll do? In Nigeria, it's the youth that go out and uh, find a village that's never heard about Jesus, and they go out and start the Bible studies there. And then we have a group meeting. They'll bring maybe an older guy to do more teaching, and then it starts as a fellowship. It's not brought by the older people who then, here's our few token youth. It's the youth that are doing things. 
I mean, I, my vision has always been an intergenerational church where we mm. don't have this separation of the kids are here and the youth are here and the older adults are here. Why are we all together doing stuff together? You know? Yeah. So that's why I like working, you know, serving evangelism, working outside together, raking leaves and just getting to know each other and learning from each other. Mm. But I still think, you know, I, I was at a church once where we finally got some positions for young adults to actually be in important positions. And the one man called me and says, I am not allowed to do anything. Um, he was assistant treasurer. And when the treasurer left, he wouldn't let him write checks or do anything. And I'm like, this guy's an accounting major. He can probably handle writing checks while you're away for a week. Yes. And he got very discouraged and they left the church. I don't blame mm. him. It's very dishonoring to be told you're not old enough at 23 to write checks. Excuse me. What am I going to do? You know, or mm -hmm. things like that, that we're just not. And then there's churches that have nothing. No older adults want to do anything. So then they're given everything. You know, you can direct the choir. You can. <laughs> so how do we find that balance of both generations working together? So and I'm hoping that as a church, we are always following hard after Jesus. And if we do that, I think everything will be fine. And I don't mean that we have to grow or do anything. I think part of our mission now has just been to share what the brethren look like mm. in other countries and amongst ourselves. So anyhow, thanks for the interview. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Famous. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you, Marla. <laughs> <laughs>